You're listening to Trademarks Made Easy. Trademarks Made Easy is the podcast focused on helping brand owners in the e-commerce space. With your host, Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. But don't worry, you won't find too much legalese here. Well, hey there, and welcome back to the Trademarks Made Easy podcast. I'm your host, Susie Hickson, also known as the private label lawyer. I help clients create long-term wealth with their private label products by guiding them through the complexities of the legal landscape so they can grow their businesses securely and confidently on a daily basis. So in today's podcast, I'm speaking with Paulina Masson. Today's podcast is part one of two. Paulina is a brilliant numbers person, and today we're talking pricing psychology, pricing strategies, and pricing split testing. So this sounds a little scary and complex, but Paulina makes it a lot of fun. And I think that you're going to really find it of value because you can feel so much enthusiasm in her voice. It's going to be easy for you to understand. And it's great information to apply really to any business. And I also love that Paulina is a software developer in a highly male-dominated field. And I think that she's such a great inspiration to women out there who are thinking of going into software development. You can really feel that excitement in her voice when she talks about numbers, believe it or not, and software development. So make sure you grab a pen and paper because you're going to want to take notes. Let's get started with part one, and I'll see you on the other side. So Paulina is the founder of Shopkeeper, and she's also an Amazon seller. She calls herself a numbers girl, and I'm definitely not a numbers girl, so I think this conversation is going to be interesting. (laughs) Her favorite topics are on optimizing profits pricing strategies, and ways to save on Amazon fees, which I'm sure everyone is looking to do. Her talks are always very practical and full of actionable tips. So again, I want to extend a very warm welcome to Paulina, and I want to thank you so much for speaking with me today. So can you tell me a little bit more about you, about Paulina? Sure. Hey, everyone. And Susie, thanks for having me here. Paulina is a numbers girl, like you heard. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm actually a software developer by background. And uh, at some point in my life, I discovered the e-commerce and I thought I want to be an Amazon seller. And that was exactly 2014 when most of us jumped on the train of the gold rush leading to Amazon. (laughs) So I was one of these people. When I became an Amazon seller, being a software developer, I just kept noticing things that I could build for myself as a little tool to do that or to do this. And that's how Shopkeeper came about. I uh, did build the original software myself, but then I hired a team. Once people started asking me for it, you know, my brother was a seller and then husband, and then they shared on Facebook group. 
So once people started asking uh, for that app and I decided that it's time to make it commercial product. So we hired a team and we started a company, which is now a successful product that it is. That's such a great story, um, Paulina. I love that. And people can find you at shopkeeper.com, right? Right. Okay. Now I'll definitely have a list of contact information for you, including like your social media, if you want that on here and directly to your website. So let's talk a little bit about, you say you're a numbers girl. And I think that's really cool because I feel like women are a little bit underrepresented in the software development industry. So I think it's really cool that you, I just feel like you set such a great example for other women and younger women who are, you know, coming out of school and they're looking at science, tech, engineering, and math, STEM industries here in the U.S. So let me ask you, how did you get into software? I don't know. I've been always a computer person. It's, it's just something that happens naturally, I guess. You know, since the first time I saw it, it's just that I, okay, the first time I saw a computer, I was like 12 and then I got, went home and then I couldn't sleep. You know, the whole night I was just chatting with my brother, oh, this green screen, this was so interesting and this did that. And when you press it, I just was so fascinated by it. So I guess, you know, the first impression does it stall. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's true, there are not so many girls software developers. When I was at university, there was only two of us in the 200 people class. So it's totally not so many. But I think these days, when people grow up with, with phones and devices, you know, from since two years old, they look at a device. I think probably there will be many more software developers because of that. It's just easier to fall in love with a computer and the the magic of software development is not in the numbers. It's not in that scary world of dark screen and typing something. It's actually that you take the blank page, whatever color it is, the black or white, you write something and then you build it from scratch. It's sort of like an architect, but digital one. You know, you build magic, whatever you invent, it's there, you know, and I just totally love it. You, you, you can create amazing things and you are the one who's inventing it. And that control over something is just so amazing. I, I just can't even describe it. You just get lost in, for hours and hours and hours and you can just yeah, completely lose yourself in it. I, I love that because I can feel your enthusiasm all the way across the pond. <laughs> and I think that that's amazing. And I, I feel like you're just such an inspiration to young girls who are interested in this field. We'll get into pricing psychology in a little bit, but if there's any piece of advice you could give to women out there who are interested in getting into software development, what is your biggest piece of advice? You know, probably, I guess it's hard to say what the world looks like these days. I did graduate 10 years ago, right? So it's, it's a little bit different world out there right now with TikTok and all of these different changes. changes. Yeah, so fast. Everything changes. Yeah, the biggest change is probably that people... You know, I'll tell you what it is. The, the biggest difference when I'm looking at TikTok and the people who are sharing online and how they're sharing, it's so different from my generation, which is Facebook generation. After me, there was Instagram generation and there's, you know, uh, Snapchat and then there's TikTok. And now I actually got obsessed by TikTok recently because I went on there and everyone is with their phone. They are not, you know, us 
girls, you know, my age girls, we only put on Facebook the most pretty pictures of us, you know, <laughs> the, the best looking ones. Now on TikTok, you just woke up with your hair bed and the messy room behind you and you say, hey guys, I just woke up. You know, it's just, there is no more secrets. You show yourself. And it's surprising how amazing, how interesting it is to watch that, you know. So for those girls, I guess, who are right now living that world when they're not shy to show who they are the real world is out there and you can the first thing you you could do is just learn inform yourself on what there is about business and where do you want to be and about software development look at other follow other software developers that are women you know there are so many methods now to follow someone and because everyone is sharing so openly there you know since the morning Till the evening, they're sharing what they're doing. Just inform yourself and try to experience it without having to actually go and get a software development job or even start studying it. So feel how it is, and then you will you will start understanding if if that's for you or not. You know. So just the first thing, inform yourself and try to a little bit, you know, look around and learn what there is and try to try on that hat, you know, mm-hmm. first mm-hmm. before you even jump in. Yeah, before you jump in, for sure. Um, I think that's really interesting what you said about TikTok. I am not on TikTok. It's fairly new to me. (laughs) Although I know it's not super new, but my niece has sort of been on it and plays around with it. And, you know, I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, one more social media platform to think about, right? It's just, there. it feels like as soon as kind of one everyone gets tired of one social media platform there's another one coming down the <laughs> coming down the line that we have to kind of get used to but i like the idea of just being able to get up and like take a picture of yourself like right after you know <laughs> but have you noticed about tiktok if you look at google trends today and you will see it's been for the last year since it's launched as a tiktok they were growing slowly, slowly, slowly up, up, and just the last 30 days has been like booming to the 100% growth. I wonder it's why, crazy. you know? Do you know what it has? Gary Vee started promoting it oh. 30 days ago. Maybe that's why he's also an investor. But it's a really amazing platform. I think it started as this lip-syncing app, but it's going to become another Facebook and people who are promoting their Amazon products on there, I've seen they are doing amazing. In two days, you can get like 4,000 followers just because there is nobody else doing in that, you know, topic. And there is, that's the opportunity right now. So it's just my advice, jump on it. That's interesting. So let's, let's talk about that really briefly. How are you seeing people promoting their Amazon products on TikTok? Are they actually like videoing themselves using it? or? So I, I, I looked up a few examples. I was curious as well how they're doing it. So there's this one man selling wood products that he handmade. I think he handmakes them or maybe just finish this them up. So just the videos on TikTok, you can have either 15 second or 60 second long video. So he basically just, you know, makes a video of how he polishes it or oils the board, you know, and there's like 10,000 likes for that one, you know. (laughs) And then the next is something else and there's, you know, and that's it. And he sells the products. Another guy is selling all he does is he has 428,000 followers and and ice cream. He shows with his big muscles how he makes ice cream, you know, but actually he (laughs) sells them. (laughs) 
<laughs> he sells the little decorations, accessories for the ice cream on Amazon. You know, so the ones that you stick on the ice cream once like you're done. Big meaty guy, like a big beefy guy. No, but he has <laughs> no very nice, good structure. You know? <laughs> but but there are muscles, and when he makes, you know, the the handmade ice cream, that's what he's making. And all of his videos are just from different angles, different chocolate flavors, and different accessories. So it's amazing. And I've seen just simple guy, actually one of my friends. Uh, so he's a UK entrepreneur. He just posted three videos two days ago saying that I am joining TikTok and I'll be talking about how to do online business. And he already has 2000 followers in those couple days. It's just amazing because there is not many other people doing, you know, that and people are searching those hashtags. So it's just, just, this time is the boom, like the old days of Instagram, you know, so mm -hmm. I highly recommend jumping on the train and getting into that gold rush. Jump on there. Yeah. Take advantage of it. I mean, heck, after we get off here, I, I just might go get, I swore the other day I, ha I was with my niece and I was like, I am not getting involved in another social media platform <laughs> because she was, do she was doing a video of me and she was, it was, it was kind of funny because she was telling me, she was directing me, right? Like she would say, okay, now do this. And then she like added music to it. Yes. And av after I watched it, it was actually really, really funny. Like I look like a big nerd and that's what made it just so <laughs> funny. And, and, and I was like, okay, that's hilarious. I don't care if people see this. This is so funny. And she, she did have, you know, whatever she was doing to it. And then like a few minutes later, she's like, Oh, there's like 40 people that have seen it already. And I was like, am I going to go viral? <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It's Actually, possible. That's how they started. Yeah. They started as lip syncing app because was it, they musically? it was musically right. And, but that is now has the potential to become another platform like Facebook or Snapchat with more general content. So not only the lip syncing, if you search the hashtags, business, online marketing, you know, social media marketing, all these things, you will see a lot of good content that is just from, you know, people talking. They're not singing. They're not lip syncing. It's just they're talking. And it's very nice how you can edit your video later. You can title it, what you're talking about. You know, you can edit yourself very easily with the phone. So, you know, while you're on your way to work, you just say, okay, so today my agenda is this and I'm hoping this is going to work out with this seller or that, you know, something like that. Mm -hmm. And people just follow you. So it's, it's just a big opportunity right now. <laughs> you should talk I'm going to, I'm going, I'm going to get off this interview and I'm going to go get TikTok and I'm going to go follow my niece. I'm going <laughs> to stalk her, right? I've got to keep an eye on her. She's a teenager. And then I'm going to follow you. So you're going to be like my first two people that I'm going to follow. So sounds good. <laughs> Let's do that. <laughs> Despite the fact that I said no more social media, but you know what? I'm going to check it out. Why not? Yeah. There's a good way to engage with the others. For example, if you follow Gary V, you could leave, it's called, I think um, there's a duet and duet option, or there's like a response option where you can basically create a video with him, his original video and your little picture in it. And in that little picture, you can ask a question. So for example, if you make videos about, you know, uh, trademark issues and so on, I can actually ask you questions by creating another video on top of yours. And then you can reply and people can, it's just like very, very 
interesting ways to engage, you know, and it's, it makes it, and Gary Vee uses it. So if you analyze his account, how he uses it, and try to apply that to your own niche, you know, you can, you can really have a lot of nice new followers. Interesting. Interesting. I'll talk about some trademarks, but you have to promise to like ask me something back. So, so there's some engagement going on. <laughs> okay. okay. But uh, trust me, it's not only kids there. It's not only kids. It's not I, only, it's not uh, only teenagers. Okay. No, it's, it's a lot of adults. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So we've talked about social media. So let's talk. I wanted to ask you, you're, you said that you're a numbers person. And so I would love to talk with you a little bit about pricing psychology. Like I've read little bits and pieces about pricing psychology in the past when I've been pricing my own services. So let's, let's talk a little bit about pricing psychology and why like this intrigues you in particular. Like should we be using 99 cent endings or like endings with like no cents in our listings and things like that. So yeah. Give us a few tips, Paulina. All right. Yeah, it's my favorite topic. <laughs> so, the way I got into it, because I've been an online entrepreneur for about 10 years since I graduated. And in every, any, if you're an internet marketer, you'll probably notice that many of internet marketers are using sevens at the end, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if you go to Walmart and so on, you'll see 95, 95 at the end. And many retail stores are using 99, 99 at the end. So it seems like they're using five, sevens, and nines a lot. Right. And actually, you, you may think, okay, so what's the psychology behind this? Like, why would you? And the answer is very simple. Well, $29.99 comparing to 30 round number. Well, first one, 20 something. Second is 30 something. So the answer is pretty basic, right? But actually, what happens psychologically to us from seeing the prices 99, 99, 99 everywhere, because we are so used to seeing that, we automatically assume that. 99 ending means some sort of a bargain. Mm. A bargain often means something lower quality, right? Mm. If it's cheap, that is lower quality. So that's the, the thing where you can monetize on. If you're an Amazon seller and if you are selling luxury items or you want to target those luxury buyers, it's advisable that you use zero zero at the end instead of making it 97, 95 or 99. So that will give that effect of, oh, wow, something's different. So must be not cheap. So must be good then, right? <laughs> so it just happens in milliseconds. But actually, if you want to give this luxury feel, take the same silk sheets and price it $29.99 or 30 round. Well, 30 round will give that more luxury impression. It's just hard to even explain why it is, but because of that 99 ending. And now the ones that I mentioned, 5, 7, and 9, are actually charm numbers. These are the most commonly used endings. And again, because of that, we became conditioned to believe that those dig digits mean better bargain. Hmm. So now when you have your prices, and I tested that, for example, I had this dress and I'm selling dresses on Amazon. I had this dress for $34. And I read a study online that they had something for $34 and they switched it to $39 and it sold better, <laughs> actually. So I tested it and I didn't have competitors who were competing with me for the price very closely. So I could make the jump of $5 and actually did sell better at 39. And I don't know, just <laughs> like maybe it was not enough statistical significance, but I kept it at 39 and I keep selling it to this yeah. day. 
So the trick there is the way they explained it in the research article is that if you use a nine in it instead of the four, right? Not 34, but 39, because nine seems like a better deal when we are quickly skimming because we are skimming everything, right? Millisecond you spend 34 sounds like a bigger number somehow, right? Because the four is not such a common bargain charm digit. So I recommend to switch up all of your prices that you have right now. If you have any endings in four, six, or eight, to switch them up to five, sevens, and nines. If you want to imply that it's cheaper than your competitor or that it is actually a bargain item. So it's a very nice trick to do uh, just to switch up the digits in your prices. And if you cannot jump the $5 difference like I did from 34 to 39, just jump to 37, you know, just closely to 35 if you can just a little bit. So you'll make more profit and the customer will feel like getting a better deal as well. You know, so it's, it's interesting how you can use that. It, it's interesting. And I think you hit the nail on the head that it, it is that we, we are conditioned to think that 99 cents is like a bargain price. So and like you said, everything happens in just a millisecond. It's the same thing with branding and trademarks. You know, sometimes we don't even really realize how these things are impacting us every single day as a consumer. But people like you know, <laughs> and you know, you know what I mean? Like, you know how to manipulate it and kind of massage it on the back end so that you increase sales. And that's such a great story. I love this because you didn't drop your price. You raised your price by $5. <laughs> that's right. That's pretty cool. So how did you, how did you kind of like discover pricing psychology? Did you just kind of fall into it or you just sort of intrigued or did you come across someone else doing it? So I do a lot of optimizations in terms of prices and costs just because I run Shopkeeper, right? Which is profit calculator. So very often I have customers coming to me and asking, where can I tweak something that I could make more profit? So it's always about making more profit. And that's how it started. You know, how can I play with the price carefully, you know, that I would not lose my rankings, but still make more money. So from that, I started investigating and looking up the research that's been done, you know, in, in other fields. It's interesting that for Amazon sellers and in, in general for e-commerce, it's completely different rules than when, let's say, you would present your, your prices on your website for, um, for your services. For example, when I would talk to you, I would rather recommend not using the 99 at the end and just completely make it as simple as possible. If you have some sort of pricing structure, make it so quickly consumable that it's just easy to understand and comprehend the price very quickly. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing, you know, uh, 549.99 with discount of 15% and, you know, all this complexity is not necessary. So it's just simplify, simplify, simplify. And plus people, when they're buying online services, they're so used to seeing sevens at the end. I don't know if you noticed, many internet marketers are using sevens when they're selling courses. Like there's a seven at the end, mm-hmm. 997 or 697. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good idea to probably follow the same trend just because psychologically, when we see something that we see a lot, then it's easier to understand it quickly. If it's unusual to our eye, it makes it like you have to stop and think about it. And sometimes we're not ready for that, you know, pain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So we just move on. Uh, For example, I went to this restaurant and usually like Starbucks, you go, there's $3.50, there's $1, there's $5. It's, I mean, I don't know, I mean, Starbucks prices (laughs) in Turkey. So... (laughs) 
but they're rounded and easy, you know. And then I went to this uh, other coffee shop and it had weird prices like 241 and then the next one was 186, you know, and you have to <laughs> think and squint and you know, just it makes you yeah. your brain hurt a little bit. So you totally want to avoid that when you are deciding your price. So when you are not an Amazon seller, seller but you're selling high ticket products, I would always round your prices, make it as simple as possible. And same applies for services and products online. Now, there's another thing with comprehension of the price. You know, very often we have coupons on our listings. And when you have a coupon, it's very easy to quickly lose the customer with the complexity, right? If you're going to offer $25 price and then 15% off. So now you have to figure out the 15% and it's not easy, right? 10% off is $2, another 5%, another dollar. Okay. So there's like extra step that takes to consume it. And because we are skimming everything, we are not going to do it. So it just has to look good from the first glance. So best is to probably offer, you know, $21 with $3 off. That is very quick. You can tell that you're getting paying $18 for it. Versus so it, a percentage. Uh, right. Or, or you can just give 10% off. The easy, easy right, percentage. Right. So whatever is the more easy, that's the more clicks you will have into your listing. Because their eye will then skim the price, they comprehend it, then they move on to check something else, either your image, your title, or your number of reviews. And then they stay with your listing. They don't like, they don't want to squint and move on to something easier, right? So it's important to always make it as simple as possible. Yeah. Anything to decrease that resistance to purchase, right? Like you want to get <laughs> people to, you know, clicking that buy box as quickly as possible without there being a lot of resistance. So we've talked a little bit about using 99 versus 95 versus 00. We've talked about the, the coupons. What Do you have any other little psychological tricks that you can think of? I think this is fascinating. Yeah. So what I didn't say about the coupons that it's sometimes, you know, on Amazon, we have a choice. We can either have a dollar amount or percentage off. And it's hard to choose sometimes which one to use. For example, there's a price of $25. And now you could either give $10 off or 40% off, right? They are equal discount. But is it $10 you're going to choose or 40%? And it's hard to tell. But when you would write them down on the paper and look in front of you, it will be very obvious. You will just feel it. There is no rule. <laughs> so that's hard when I tell this to people. Just feel which one is a better <laughs> deal. They say, I can't feel such things. Well, just look at the numbers and you will see that $10 seems like a smaller number than the 40, right? Because it's a smaller digit, right? So it's basically... 40% off seems like a better deal because it's more significant from the first glance the without making the math, mm -hmm. right? So same would be if the price is 450, for example, and then discount is either $100 off or 22% off. Mm -hmm. So again, 100 is like now is the dollar amount that is bigger. Mm -hmm. So whichever you feel like is the more significant yeah. discount, that's the one to go with. There are many different rules that psychologists are placing. You know, they say if you're selling something less than $100, use the percentage because it will appear more significant. But on Amazon, we all are selling products that are less than $40. So because of that, you most of the time you just have to judge from how it feels like, which one feels like more significant. And that's the one I would go for. But, you know, don't jump into changing all your prices immediately. 
also look at your competitors on the first page, right? So look at your main keyword, at your closest competitors, especially those which are side by side next to you, because the customer will actually compare by skimming. So mm -hmm. sometimes a good idea is not to invent your own price that is easily comprehensible, like I mentioned. It's sometimes a good idea to copy the little bit more complex variation that the competitor has. If he is the best seller with the best seller tag and he has $21 with 5% off, I would also make exactly the same $21 with 5% off. Because when I'm skimming the first two listings, suddenly price is irrelevant, right? Then I am thinking about other benefits, like how many reviews they have, what's the image look like. I'm thinking about something else, not the price anymore. If you change $1 different, like I'll be cheaper than competitor. Now suddenly they have to think, ah, oh, this guy is cheaper, but he just wants to my sale, but this <laughs> one is more popular. So you make them think all that through, right? So don't make them think about it. Just copy the competitor exactly. Sometimes that works as well instead of using my strategy. <laughs> this, this is really, this is cool. And I'm, I'm just wondering how many people actually sit down and think about the psychological impact of pricing and are actually thinking these types of things through when they're creating their listings on Amazon or going through there and, and tweaking their, their pricing or whatever. I just, I wonder how many people are actually doing it. Yeah, I don't think anyone does it really at all. It goes back somewhere in the back of our brain, right? In the back of our head. That's the part of the brain, the same one that you use when you're driving. You don't even think about it. You already made the turn, you know, and you just think, <laughs> was it red or green? I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same so when scary. you're skimming. The, yeah. <laughs> you're skimming the prices. You thought it's a better deal, but you don't know why. Well, because it had a nine in it. You've seen the nines everywhere. Right. So it's, it works all like that. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's so fascinating. So what about doing with your pricing, doing split testing. Do you recommend people, is that even worth digging into split testing with the pricing? Yeah, it's a very good question actually with the split testing. I am actually against split testing, you know, and there are many apps that built their business around the split testing, right? There's, um, I don't know, Splitly and Cashco Pro, and there's a few others that do just that, right? And in general, the thing is with split testing, you have to have statistical significance to make the test even worth it. What do I mean by that? If you have just five sales a week, you can't really decide, you know, that this price worked. There could be hundreds of other things that happened, you know, around it. And also, it's really hard to come up with a clean test. For example, PPC goes supply and demand curve, right? So you have to kind of turn, turn off the PPC so it wouldn't influence your sales. And then um, competitor may change something, season may come, so all of these different things can happen. But I still did run split testing on my account. And the way I did it is this. There's this tool online, any tool that you can Google, which will say statistical significance calculator. But the one I use is abtestguide.com. So you just go there and you would go to first to your seller central from your business reports. You would check how many sessions you normally get a week to your listing. So for example, that I mean by that, uh, how many people click into your listing. So the session percentage so-called on Amazon, let's say 600 people click into your listing every week, right? And that's the number you put into that calculator. You say, I'm getting a week, 600. And then you give them the conversion rate on the listing. So if yours is 15%, you put the 15%. And then they will ask you, okay, what's the one that you want to have? You'll put 18% I want to have. Don't ask for a huge jump from 15 to 20 because then the test will take forever. 
And the point of calculator is to tell you how long you need to run your test in weeks. So do you have enough statistical significance to decide that that is actually what it is, right? So, and then when you put in all that data, it will tell you 4.5 weeks. So now you know that on this product, you have to run the price, one price for 4.5 weeks and another price for 4.5 weeks. But that usually is a bad way to do it because a stretch of four weeks usually is in some season and then it changes. Many, many things change over that long of a time. So it's better do one week of one price, one week of another price, and then skip the season, whatever the high season is, Cinco de Mayo came, you know, (laughs) switch that up. (laughs) And then again, one week of that, one week of that. So just keep testing until you fill up those four weeks and then you will get closer to the truth. So I would only do these tests on your high volume sellers and I would not really switch the price very, very strongly because if you are have a high seller that is worth testing and it has statistical significance easily the thing is you already in high ranks and you really really worried to lose that rank right so it's not so easy to quickly just make any changes for the thing that is not broken to don't fix it right don't right fix it if it's not exactly. already broken <laughs> <laughs> because of that i am pretty against split testing in general but it's still possible what I say, do it, do it carefully, but watch it. Don't just leave it, you know, put on split leave this test and come back in eight weeks. Don't do that. Come every few days and check if your ranking is dropping. If you see suddenly number of sessions decrease, just switch off the test. You know, don't risk your listing like that because once you are down to page 10, it's very hard to come back from there, you know. So mm-hmm. it's risky and it's hard to make and it's really unreliable. So I would say split testing is probably, yeah, you'll have to go with other strategies than split testing. And I guess I could talk a few about my strategies that I use instead, if you like. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Uh, it kind of sounds like split testing might be a, a fairly advanced strategy. It is, yes, definitely. There are so many variables and you have to have so much experience with that. And yeah, it's, it's very hard to yeah. have a good test. Yeah. So are you open to talking a little bit about your strategies? Sure. So um, or are these the trade way- secrets? <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I guess not. I, <laughs> I can share. <laughs> So the way no most of us, no pressure, yeah. <laughs> the way I used to decide the price, and probably many of my friends and many of the listeners do decide the price like that. So you have your product and you just judge by your own personal spending habits. You know, you think if I, would, if I have a knife sharpener, knife sharpener that I'm selling and I would never spend more than $36 for it personally, so then who's going to pay more than $36? I'm going to just charge $31, you know. You judge from your own limit of how much you would pay for it. Mm -hmm. And that is probably the wrong thing to do because there are many different buyers, right? Different types of buyers based on their income, on their buying habits. And there are so many things in your own financial limitations box. You are sitting and deciding your price is probably not the best way to go about it. So try to climb out of it, remove that box from yourself and just forget about that $36 that you have in mind. And the same applies, especially it's nice to think like that about online services. Very often, if you sell something online, then you are, you are just thinking, oh, I would never spend $2,000 for a course. I don't have that much money, you know, and you never charge more than that. 
is the the bad way to think about it. So try to climb out of it. Now, That's how hard, to climb though. out? That's really hard. hard. It is hard, yes. <laughs> but it, the way to climb out of it is to think about all the possible range of different incomes and different buyer habits. Like who are they? Who are potential buyers that could buy your product? On Amazon, I could tell you there is one research done and I forgot the name, Twits and Tights, something like that. That's the name of the scientific study that was done. They calculated what percentages of different types of buyers exist for e-commerce. So they said that there are 24% of bargain hunters and only 15% of luxury buyers. So there are many, many, just very few luxury buyers for e-commerce products. And the rest, 61%, is sort of the average uh, spender, which is not so affected by the price. They're just looking for good deal and good product. So the first one is really like, so to say, Scrooges, right? They are really looking for the cheapest. And my brother is like that. So he really uh, looks, has all the plugins on his Chrome browser and checks <laughs> the cheapest of the cheapest, you know, he's going to yeah, get yeah. the best one. Spend hours to try to save $2. <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. I've seen these people. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, actually very often those people are the richest kind, that you know. So true. <laughs> <laughs> they are the richest. And you, you know, you can't tell by the income which one they are going to be. It's not always, you know, the one who doesn't make any money. Sometimes people who don't make any money are the biggest spenders, you know. Yeah. <laughs> by that buying habit. And I am unfortunately one of these uh, big spenders who don't look at the price too much. I find it too big of a hassle, especially if it's in a lower price range, let's say less than $200. In that case, I never really research the price. I just look at the benefits. So that's what luxury category happens in in the big spenders world. You just look at the benefit. Mm, Will it match the color of my kitchen? What my friend is going to say when she sees this dress? You know, you're just (laughs) thinking about that. You're not even bothering if it's $60 or 160. You're just still going to buy it if you like it. Mm -hmm. So now that you know there are those three kinds of buyers, right? Three types of buying behaviors. You should even, before you even launch your product and think about your price, you should think, who am I going to target? And if you're selling a knife sharpener, you could have three different versions of the same knife sharpener. You could go to your manufacturer and if you're going to charge, you know, $11, you're going to target those bargain hunters, you could tell your manufacturer, so please remove the stainless steel and put some cheaper metal instead, right? (laughs) And you can do the same the other way. If you're tar- going to target the luxury buyers, you can upgrade it, add some additional things, velvet bag, a nice box and uh, other things. And then you can charge $36 for that knife sharpener, right? So you could be all of the three. So now how do you decide which one of the three to even target? Well, that's the thing. You have to look at your competitors and that is the best indicator. You have to really research your market. Who is playing what game? Because there is money to be made in all of the three buckets. You know, if there is not enough competitors in the Scrooge's, you know, market, then go there. If there is not enough competitors in the luxury buyer's market, go there. So look at mostly the first 20 results on your main keyword and judge from that. Now, don't jump to judge right away. Right now, you are probably listening to this podcast. You're going to open the page and look at the 20. (laughs) (laughs) Doing research. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but don't forget that you cannot judge from one snapshot. 
Remember, some of them could be running out of stock, adjusting their prices. Some of them could be not even on the page because they're out of stock. Mm -hmm. Some of them, the price fluctuates, right? They use repricers, they change it and, and so on. They're doing promotions. So you have to base your decision on historical price average. So tools like Jungle Scout and so on, they show you the curve of historical price average. And that's what you should look up for each of your competitors. And then two weeks later, check again, because, you know, some competitors might not have even been on that first page and they came back into stock. And then you will have everything on your spreadsheet and judge the situation. You know, what's the range? So judge how many of them are working in the bargain hunters, how many in the big spenders and how much space now? I will tell you how much space there is in terms of profit. If you have an option for all three of them, go for the middle because the middle is the most profit to be made. If you calculate just 40% margin, just because I told you those percentages, there's 24 for the bargain hunters and 15 for the rest. If you put the numbers together and add 40% margin on those knife sharpeners, it turns out that the middle is the most profit. Second best is those luxury buyers. We would think that hmm, luxury buyer is the highest price, but actually because so, so many less, less of them are buying, less you are making in general. And actually Amazon started as the marketplace which was known to be the cheapest place, right? It was the biggest selection at the lowest price. Because of that, they attracted a big number of bargain hunters. And these days there are all types of buyers there. But I would say that 15% that the study said, you know, for e-commerce in general, I think it's less on Amazon. Mm. So I would even guess that there is probably less than 15% of that type of buyer on Amazon just because most of them are bargain hunters that come for the good deals. So that's the second best bucket. And the third one is the bargain, those bargain hunters. There you're working with $1 margin and so on. And I used to not recommend that bucket at all. And at one conference at Sellerfest Israel, I was presenting this and saying on stage that I don't recommend this bucket for bargain hunters. After that, I had an eight-figure seller coming to me and saying, Paulina, I make eight figures selling only for bargain hunters. And I make 50 cents of profit on each item and I make a lot of money. So don't tell people that you cannot make money there. Actually... <laughs> Yeah, someone corrected you. So there you go. <laughs> but, exactly. you know, they, they could say we make 800000 but what at the end of the day, what is what are they taking home, right? Like, I would think that, I don't know, I mean, the expenses with that, would, would this really be justified to, to even be in the bargain category? I don't know, because Amazon takes out so many fees these days, it seems like. That's exactly right. I um, That's my point of view also, because... PPC needs some percentage, right? And then storage fees and refund rate is going to happen. Uh, there will be, you know, s many categories have an additional returns processing fee, which is in apparel like my category and anything that you can try on and return. Many sellers don't even know that there is this returns processing fee, which is an additional FBA fee. So you pay double FBA fee when the product is returned. So if you're working with 50 cent margin, what you can do, you know, it's, it's very, very hard to make money in there. So I would recommend for beginner sellers, don't look at bargain hunters. But if you are an experienced seller, it's probably one of the areas that you could look at if you have high fierce competition in the other two buckets. So that's when you ask me, what's my secret uh, comparing to split testing? What do I do? Well, I basically decide my prices based on competitors. I look at the competitors, analyze the market very well, like I said, on historical averages, 
And then I decide who I'm going to target. And only then I go to my manufacturer and I say, okay, let's make this knife sharpener to be for the luxury guys. So my whole product process actually is after I decide the price strategy. So it's important to think about it very early in your product development process. That's really a different way of going about it. I like that. It's it's something I haven't really heard before because people are usually product, product, product first, right? And then figuring out, but this is interesting because you're kind of taking like this reverse engineering approach. And <laughs> I think that's, that's cool. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you loved it and I hope you found it of value. So in our next episode, we're going to dive into part two with Paulina. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss that next episode. And remember, never stop learning. Thanks for listening to Trademarks Made Easy with Susie Hickson, the private label lawyer. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe anywhere you find podcasts or at theprivatelabellawyer.com. Remember, the information provided in the Trademarks Made Easy podcast should not be construed as legal advice. It's for informational and entertainment purposes only. It should not be considered a substitute for legal advice. Also, I'm not your attorney. You should engage with an attorney to discuss your specific legal issues. And finally, while I have taken precautions to ensure that the content of my podcast is current and accurate, errors can occur. And thankfully, like us, the laws are ever evolving. Thank you.